Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome to God and Country Sundays with Dr. Sean. This is our Kehala. We just shared a nice meal, and if you're in the Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and maybe even New York area, you should join us. We have people that come. They're only an hour from New York, and they come. We meet at 5 p.m. in the Newark, Delaware area, and if you'd like the details, check out the uh, theninjapastor.com or drshawngreener.com, uh, or go to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. You just click on sign up or follow up or whatever, whatever the word is there. You click on that, and you'll be good to go. We want to... Uh, we want to keep in prayer my good buddy. Uh, he is uh, His name is Chris Cahalan. He's out in Minnesota. Many of you have committed to praying for him. He has pancreatic cancer and now uh, the surgery, the Whipple procedure that he was going to have done uh, to take out the cancer out of his pancreas. Unfortunately, there was something on the port to his liver. So as a result, uh, he can't have that. So now he's already begun a very aggressive chemotherapy program, and, and he's just, uh, he's getting after it. The biggest thing is, is uh, his appetite. He's really wanting an appetite, and he has heartburn right where, right in the spot where the tumor is, he has heartburn. So he just envisions that as God using the chemicals to kill the cancer. So I like that. I'm a big fan of that. So keep Chris Cahalan and his family, uh, the Cahalan family, uh, in your prayers. He was on the radio show. It was our number one rated, number one rated radio show to date is when Chris came on and told his story of faith. We're going to kind of talk about faith today. We're in James. Uh, I'm going to go right to it because I have a lot that I want to share today. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no actions to prove it? You ever see anybody plead pray into the air and you have the sense that they don't really believe what they're doing? They're trying to convince themselves that someone, the someone, is out there listening. And uh, the question is, do we believe solidly enough to actually believe God is listening when inside our hearts we don't really believe God's listening or even cares about us? Our worries, our struggles, our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups. I have to ask you, is such faith sufficient to actually save us? According to the ninja pastor, he says hesitant faith is no faith at all. That he is me, by the way. So uh, in 14 through 26, the opponents of New Testament faith claim that it offers cheap grace, antinomian salvation 
by merely affirming in one's mind certain facts or ideas about Yeshua, or through merely feeling good in somebody's heart, and in your heart toward God. You have good feelings toward God, so you call that your faith. Without doing good deeds, that's antinomian. This passage is the classic disproof of that allegation. The Greek word translated faith in this passage is pistos, usually rendered trust in the Jewish New Testament for reasons given in Acts 3.16. You're going to hear more about that in Yosta second. The word is used here because Yaakov, or James, the brother of Jesus, is really speaking about not all of trust, but just a part of it, the confessional or intellectual part of trust. The central theme of James, folks, is practical Christianity. So when you're looking for something to study, you say, I want to I be more practical in my faith. James is a great place to start. And the theme of practical Christianity, that's woven throughout the pages of this letter. However, central to his teaching, the Yaakov's teaching, is that this passage, and that is what this passage really reveals, the relationship between faith and works. The relationship, the connection between faith and works. Now, I know there's probably a whole lot of people out there that are flipping out right about now. They're going, oh, he's one of those works pastors. Oh, I knew it. Well, before you click off, let's see how many people have clicked. Well, nobody. Uh, so you're hanging in there. So I'll explain it. It'll make sense to you. You'll you'll feel better about it. But right now you're probably all Twitter-pated, but it'll be okay. In the first chapter, James, or Yaakov, sets forth the proposition that we must not only be hearers of the word, but also doers. That's in James 1.22. The result of being merely hearers and not doers is that we deceive ourselves into believing that we're something which we really aren't. And so it is with attempting to live a life of faith which doesn't demonstrate itself. A life of faith which does not demonstrate itself in appropriate works. Faith without works is worthless to James or Yaakov. So I figured what well, should be fun, should be important. Let's define faith. We're throwing a word around here. We might as well define it. Our English word faith, is, as found in the New Testament, is the translation for the Greek noun pistis, which is often defined as firm, persuasion, conviction, or trust. Remember that word trust. The noun form pistis comes from the verb pieto, which is Greek, uh, which is translated as believe, have confidence, persuade, trust, or obey. You got that? Are you all with me? This quality of faith is central to Christian living. I hear the, the uh, watermelon is really good. Is that true? We have good food here. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. There's pie. There's all kinds of pie. Charlotte is killing it. And then there's blueberry crumble. And I didn't see that either. Good lands, people. We have good food here. So this quality of faith is central to Christian living. In fact, the the writer of Hebrews declares that without faith it is impossible to please God. Now, I figured it might be fun just to go there. I do a whole sermon called By Faith. It's a whole sermon, and I only am talking about uh, chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, trusting is being confident in what we hope for, of what we hope for, convinced about things we do not see. It was for this that Scripture attested the merit of people of old. Every time you hear trusting, I want you to think faith. 
By trusting, we understand that the universe was created through a spoken word of God so that what is seen did not come into being out of existing phenomena. By trusting, Havel uh, offered a greater sacrifice than Cain. Because of this, he was attested as righteous with God, giving him the testimony on the ground of his gifts. Through having trusted, he still continues to speak, even though he's dead. By trusting, Hanukkah was taken away from this life without seeing death. He was not to be found because God took him away, for he has been attested as having been, prior to being taken away, well-pleasing to God. And without trusting, remember, think faith, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to God because whoever approaches him must trust that he does exist and that he becomes a rewarder to those who seek him out. By trusting, Noah, after receiving divine warning about things yet unseen, was filled with holy fear and built an ark to save his household. Through this trusting, he put the world under condemnation and received the righteousness that comes from trusting. Remember, faith. Think faith. Trusting, you think faith. By trusting, Abraham obeyed after being called to go out to a place which God would give him as a possession. Indeed, he went out without knowing where he was going. By trusting, remember, think faith. He lived as a temporary resident in the land of of promise, as if it were not his, staying in tents with Yitzhak and Yaakov, who were to receive what was promised along with him, for he was looking forward to the city with permanent foundations, of which the architect and builder is God. Can anybody tell me what that city is? Amen. The New Jerusalem. By trusting, remember, think faith. He received potency to father a child even when he was past the age for it, as was Sarah herself, because he regarded the one who had made the promise as trustworthy. Therefore, this one man who was virtually dead fathered descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the grains of the sand of the seashore. All these people kept on trusting until they died without receiving what had been promised. They had only seen it and welcomed it from a distance while acknowledging that they were aliens and temporary residents on the earth. For people who speak this way make it clear that they are looking for a fatherland. Now, if they were to keep recalling the one they left, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they aspire to a better fatherland, a heavenly one. This is why God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. By trusting Abraham, when he was put to the test, offered up Yitzhak, or Isaac, as a sacrifice. Yes, he offered up his only son, child, so silly, to go trouncing along. He was grown. That's how much Yitzhak, or Isaac, trusted his father. He knew he was going somewhere for something big, and the only way that he could go is if he trusted his father. And Abraham, his father, knew in his conversations with God that he was going somewhere to do something big. And when he got there, he had to carry out his trust of his father. 
He was put to the test, and he won out in the test because he trusted. To whom it has been said, what is called your seed will be in Yitzhak, for he had concluded that God would even raise people from the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did so receive them by trusting Yitzhak in his blessings over Yaakov and Esau, made reference to events yet to come. By trusting Yaakov when he was dying, blessed each of Yosef's sons, leaning on his walking stick as he bowed in prayer. By trusting Yosef near the end of his life, remembered about the exodus of the people of Israel and gave instructions about what to do with his bones. By trusting the parents of Moshe, or Moses, hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they weren't afraid of the king's decree. By trusting Moshe, after he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose being mistreated along with God's people rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. How many have you have given up something really big, really pleasurable to follow Christ? How many of you have trusted that God would, would fulfill and replace whatever it is you had to leave aside in order to trust him? How many of you stood at the empty canvas that is your life and said, Father, fill my heart and fill my soul. Move my hand, this paintbrush called the, living of, the calling of my life, and let me paint a masterpiece for you. By trusting Moshe, after he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember that. Remember that. Remember what he was giving up. He wasn't giving up something little. He wasn't giving up a, a big car for a little bit smaller car. He wasn't giving up eight-speaker stereo for a four-speaker stereo, folks. He was giving up the kingdom. Every ounce of power that could come from being Pharaoh's daughter or Pharaoh's son. Every ounce of that power, he was giving up. Sacrifice isn't sacrifice until it hurts you, folks. When you go from living in palaces to living in squalor, a dust-filled mouth, nothing to call your own but the very clothes on your back, that's faith, that's but you see, he was able to do it because he had his eyes. Instead of the, the greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, he kept his eyes fixed on the reward. By trusting, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered as one who sees the unseen. By trusting, he obeyed the requirements for the Pesach, including the smearing of the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By trusting, they walked through the Red Sea as through dry land. When the Egyptians tried to do it, the sea swallowed them up. By trusting, the walls of Jericho, or Jericho fell down after the people had marched around them for seven days. Listen, seven days, folks. It wasn't seven minutes. It wasn't seven hours. It was seven days. You bunch of idiots, what are you doing? Walking and marching and singing and clanging around the walls of Jericho that will never make a wall fall down. You people are idiots. Day one. Day two, we're thirsty. We're tired. We're hungry. Comfortable at all. Our feet hurt. 
and yet we still march. We still march around Jericho. Why? Day two is very difficult. Day one, we, we always think that step I'm stepping out in faith. We hear that all the time. I'm stepping out in faith, and we get applause. You know, people in the congregation will testify. They'll say, hey, well, I'm going to step out in faith. Right? And there's a lot of applause. There's a lot of encouragement. There's a lot of prayer. But when is it harder? Day two. Day two is harder than day one. It's easy to step out. It's harder to stay out. Because they were being ridiculed, folks. Have you ever thought about day two of seven days of marching around walls? This had never been done in all of time. No one could ever look at this example of these people, these idiots, these whack jobs, these nuts, these Christian extremists marching. Jews, the Jews marching around buildings, walls. What idiots were these? Day three comes. I imagine by day three their feet were blistered and bleeding. I imagine by day three the sun had beaten them so dry that no matter how they tried to stay hydrated, they couldn't because when you stay out in that kind of heat, folks, there's no amount of water drinking that you can get. There's no amount, like they didn't have air conditioning to go duck into. They kept marching. Day four comes. Nothing. Look at the walls as they're marching by them, and not a rumble, not a single pebble has fallen. Only dust from their feet. Their mouths are dry from singing and praising God in the heat and the dust, and all the while, Heaps and heaps of ridicule is being foisted upon them. Day six comes. And I wonder what the conversation was like among the group doing the marching. Hey, man, it's day six. I haven't even felt the earth move underneath my feet. Have you? No, I didn't feel anything, but my feet sure hurt. How about you? Whew, I could use a hoagie. Nothing. Nothing had happened. And then day seven. Day seven. We look at seven days and we think a week is so easy, right? We can get through a week standing on our head just about. But when you're marching and marching and marching and marching, you don't have, hey, brother, you don't have the luxury of saying, well, it's only a week. It's only a week. Some of us crumble after a few minutes. We look at the blank canvas that is our life. We look at that canvas. We have the paint here. We have the brush here. We look at that canvas and we say, I don't feel anything yet. Maybe I'll just start painting what I know. Let's say that's your career. Music is your career. Or teaching is your career. And that's your canvas. And you say, I'm going to start painting what I know. And then maybe God will come along and inspire me. Trust. They were able to do this. These folks gathering together were able to do this because they trusted. They had faith. Not just to step out, but to keep walking. Not just to keep walking, but to keep walking and marching and singing when stuff is being thrown upon their heads. 
by trusting Rakov the prostitute welcomed the spies and therefore did not die, this is verse 31, with those who were disobedient. What more should I say? There isn't time to go on about Gidon and Barak, not Barack Obama, Shimshon, Yiftach, David, Shemuel, and the prophets, who through trusting conquered kingdoms, worked righteousness, received what is promises, what is promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and had their weakness turned to strength, grew mighty in battle, routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead resurrected. Other people were stretched on the rack and beaten to death, refusing to be ransomed so that they would gain a better resurrection. Others underwent the trials of being mocked and whipped, then chained and imprisoned. They, they were stoned, sawed in two, murdered by the sword. They went about clothed in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. The world was not worthy of them. All of these had their merit attested because of their trusting. Nevertheless, they did not receive what had been promised because God had planned something better that would involve us so that only with us would they be brought to their goal. We go into our day fearful. And what do we want to see? We want to see proof. God, we want to see proof. You know what? Trust and faith. That song is so simple. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It doesn't say if you do it once, you're going to have a caddy in your driveway. It doesn't say if you do it once, a little bit, you're going to have every pay increase you ever thought you wanted to have. It doesn't say that every time you open your fridge, there's automatically going to be food there. It doesn't say that you're ever not going to be lonely for the one that you lost. It doesn't say any of those things. It says that he will care for us if we trust him. The writer of Hebrews declares that without faith it is impossible to please God. That's in Hebrews 11.6. The basic tenet of Protestant Reformation and the Christian lifestyle is repeated four, four times in both the Old and New Testaments. The just shall live by faith. As we study the book of James, we should not be surprised to discover that he gives us some very practical definitions of faith. In this particular passage, he defines faith in four ways. Here we go. Here's one. Saving faith. Saving faith. There might be something important to the word I keep repeating. Saving faith must include our deeds and works. Folks, faith. Look, I, today you can see I have on braces. It's a new way of living for me. So uh, I resisted them for a really long time, despite my son Doyle beating me all the time, saying, Dad, you need to get braces, you need to use your cane, you need to do all these things. And, I, and I've, I've heard it from others, a few others. Makes me look like a Greek ninja pastor or a Hebrew ninja pastor if I paint them tan. So here's the thing. I resisted, resisted, resisted. Then I had a really bad fall this week. It was a bad, bad fall. It was a simple fall, simple. Just I was thrown to my doggie. A golfer was coming by. I just moved my foot a little bit. I don't have a sense of flat ground or not. I was on a hill. I stepped on a little bit raised thing. My ankle completely rolled, and that was that. It'll never heal. My ankles will never heal from the crash. That's just a fact. And I didn't want these things for any for all the tea in China. 
But let me tell you something. These braces have made a massive difference in my life. I can walk. I know, hardhead. Pastor hardhead. I can walk with so much more confidence now. Uh, they're not comfortable, to be honest. There's a thing that goes underneath my feet that is not comfortable to stand on. But you know what? It forces me to stand correctly. It forces me to to put my feet because my ankles won't hold me any longer. I can't trust in my own ankles anymore. That happened in the crash. That's a reality I didn't want to face. But the fact is, is I can trust in something that I can see and I can feel. But guess what? One of these days, long about December, I'm going to put on long pants. And I'm going to look down and I'm not going to see my braces. I'm just going to have to trust that they're there. You see, the funny feedback that I'm going to get is, am I going to feel them by then, by December? That's going to be months away. By December, will I still feel them there? Will I still get that feedback or will I just proceed as though they've always been there? Saving faith must include deed or works. You know what? These things won't help me if I don't want. If I don't wear these braces, it's not going to help me. But any faith without works is useless. Faith by itself, without works or action. Now, don't freak out, radio audience. I know the audience here isn't, the live audience isn't freaking out because they're saying, well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. Yes, it does. Faith by itself, without works or action, is dead. In verse 17, it highlights that. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. That's talked about in verse 26. Number three, faith cannot be mere mental assent or intellectual belief. Listen, because something is easy for you to believe, and you believe it doesn't mean that that's faith, folks. I have faith that that very nice Harley Davidson outside, which is meticulously maintained, that when my buddy Wes goes and gets on it, he turns that key, I'm going to hear, and it's going to start up. I have faith, because I know he takes care of his stuff. That's not a huge leap of faith, though, is it? Because we all know how Wes is. We know he takes care of his stuff. We know that's going to work out. I have faith that Sean knows what he's doing. If there's an aircraft that lands, catches on fire, or crashes, Sean's going to know what to do. You know why? Because he has years and years and years of going into the flames to put the fire out and save lives. I know that. I have faith all of you others here that do the jobs that you do, medical doctor, teacher, all of these things, all of these things, administrator, welder, all of these things that you do, auto mechanic, you know what you're doing. I can tell. Business owner, I can tell you know what you're doing. It doesn't take a leap of faith. I can look at your lives and see that you're successful. You do well at what you do. I see by the great food that's brought here every week that people here care about excellence. It's not a leap of faith for me. It's not. Mental ascent. I look at it and I say, hmm, two and two equals four, except in common core. So I'm going to... I'm going to believe, I'm going to have faith that they're going to get it done. Is that faith? No, it's not. It's mental assent. It's intellectual belief. I put two and two together, I equal four, and I know that's going to come out. But here's the crazy thing. Even the demons believe. Even the demons have that kind of belief. They know who and what is true and what isn't. Then number four, as we've seen, biblical faith is best defined as active obedience, obeying in the storm. You're out on the stormy sea, and, and, and the waves are hitting the boat, 
They're, they're lapping over the edge of the boat. And you look out in the water and you see a vaguely familiar, but you don't know who it is, vaguely familiar. Come on, step out here. Come on. And you know it's the sea. You're not in a, in a, it's not a tempest in a teacup. You're in the sea. And you've seen the sea swallow people live. And yet you step out. You step out. And you keep walking. And you don't look down and go, well, the first step was pretty easy. I'm still above the water, so I don't have to think about it anymore. I can look away. I can rely on myself, intellectual assent. Intellectual assent. Mental assent or intellectual belief. I can do that because that first step, no, it's every step. It's every step. Biblical faith is defined as active every day, every moment, in each challenge. Listen, Chris, my buddy Chris, great, great guy. I know I say it all the time. I would wish like anything that you guys could get to meet him. He's really, really, truly a great guy. Great dad, great husband, great business person. He's great about everything that he does. He's serious business about everything he does, including playing softball. The guy's a good dude. And he's in the midst of the struggle of his life. Today and every day, the struggle of his life. I know how everybody gets with pancreatic cancer. They freak out, right? Because everybody you hear gets pancreatic cancer, dies. We all think of who? Michael Landon. Cancer was pretty well advanced when he announced that he had pancreatic cancer. Talk about a guy of faith. Read his story. Read Michael Landon's story sometime. But you know, Chris every day awakens. He's still in pain. He's going to get sick. Thankfully, he doesn't have a whole head of hair to lose, so uh, he got a shiny head. So, But every day he's going to feel sick. Every day he's going to feel sicker. Every day after that he's going to feel sicker until God chooses to use whatever method he chooses to use to heal him or give him his reward. This is a guy who trusts God in the midst of a storm. But he does it every minute of every day. He doesn't do it for a few minutes and then says, man, that didn't work. I'm still sick. I'm still hurting. He doesn't do it. I'm going to have this faith until my next doctor appointment. And then let's go see what the doctor says. He does it every day. Regardless of what he sees, he says, I'm having faith. I'm trusting God. James uses two specific examples to reveal this vital truth. Abraham and Rahab. Uh, Abraham and Rahab. These examples coincide with all the examples shared by the writer of Hebrews 11 and chapter 11. I read the chapter. You heard all the, by trusting, by trusting. Remember what we're supposed to think, by trusting, by faith. The one common denominator of every person in Scripture who honored God by their faith is that they actively obeyed Him. They actively did what He said to do. They made their life their calling for God. The little things, the big things. The things that bring us accolade and the things that bring us ridicule. The things that fulfill our stomachs, we all have full stomachs here, and the things that make us empty 
no strength and no power of our own. The things that make us rich, the things that make us poor. Now, let me define works. I define faith, I think. Fair, fairly, we can say we have an understanding of faith and trust. Let us define works. The Scripture speaks about works in two categories. It's important for us to understand both. There are the works of persons which are done in the flesh. Works. That's what everybody thinks those verses mean. Works that are done in the flesh. And there are works in which which are done with the assistance of the Spirit, which bring glory to God. Let me say this again. I want you to hear this. This is a really important definition. If you want a life calling, this is a good thing to include. There are works which are done with the assistance of the Spirit, which brings glory to God. Folks, you're looking at your life. It is a canvas You've got your paints ready. You've got your easel ready. You've got your, your palettes all set. Your, tight, your canvas is tightened down. You've got your fancy smock on. You're all set and ready to go. You look at the blank canvas. And you allow God to create in you a masterpiece that you don't need to be concerned about that masterpiece being recognized as a masterpiece by anyone but God. Anyone but God. You are painting for one. You are singing for one. You are working for one. You are cleaning for one. You are teaching for one. You're rescuing for one. You're welding for one. You're healing for one. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world looks at doesn't matter what they look at and they say, their assessment of you. It doesn't matter what they say. The works which are done with the assistance of the Spirit bring glory to God. You say, but I'm a great painter. I have my life, my canvas in front of me, and I'm really good at filling this big giant canvas full of cool-looking stuff and people look at that and they say, Ooh, you're some kind of painter. And God looks at it and says, It looks like a bunch of gibberish to me. It doesn't look like you followed me. It doesn't look like you've trusted me. It doesn't look like you've placed yourself in my hand. It doesn't look like you trust me. The works of the flesh are mentioned quite frequently in the New Testament. For example, Paul enumerates some of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19-21. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but I'll just read this, which includes adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, and revelry. I want to ask you something. I was just curious. What is licentiousness? In his discussion and the use of this word, see, in the Christian church, what do we do? We read over stuff we don't understand really fast, and we hope that nobody asks us. But I know this is the smartest group I, I teach and preach, so I, I would look stuff up. I had to go get a book. In his discussion of the use of this word in the New Testament, Thayer, who is one of my favorite uh, definers, 
uh, adds this, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Licentiousness. A work of the flesh, licentiousness, or lasciviousness. It's really an attitude, a rebellious, sinful attitude. It's the kind of attitude that says, hey, look at me. I don't care about God. I'm not concerned about my soul. Because you know what? I have a big house. I have a big house and the bills are paid. I have nice cars in the garage. All good here. I don't care much about God and I don't care much about my soul. And I don't care where I'm going to spend eternity. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, whatever feels good, without any restraint or control. It's displayed on movies that we see today. TV talk shows. This is discussed freely on school playgrounds and promoted by some worldviews and religions. And in regard to what the Bible says, it begins in the heart, Mark 17, 21, and 22. If persisted in, it will sear and defile the conscience, Ephesians 4:19. It's the opposite of personal purity, the personal purity and moral discipline expected of God's people, not desired. I don't want you to get mixed up here. Let me say this again. It's the opposite of personal purity and moral discipline expected of God's people. Not, hey, we'd really like to have that if you could work your way around to do that. We know that's a good aim. Good good for you. Keep trying. You're good. No, it's expected of us. If we want to be God's people, that is what is expected of us. And those, in Galatians 5.24, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. We've died to self. He concludes by saying that, it, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.21 It says those who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul also teaches, Shaul, that we are saved by grace through faith and not by our, our own works. That's Ephesians 2.8.9. We always hear it. Quoted all the time. Oh, no, you don't understand. You know, the cross covered it all. It handled it all. Nothing left for me to do. There's nothing I can do. And this is what they quote. Folks, I'm here to tell you the works of the Spirit, the works of the Spirit do not originate with us. They don't come from our lust. and They don't come from our flesh. They flow from the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is in us, the Ruach HaKodesh, if the Holy Spirit is in us, it flows through us, and produces good works through the Spirit of a living God. Paul teaches, or Shaul teaches, we were created to live by such good works. Ephesians 2.10. Nobody wants to quote that verse. They always want Ephesians 2.8 and 9. I'm off the hook. Antinomianism. I'm good. Cheap grace. That's all I need. Doesn't matter what I do. Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter where I go. Doesn't matter a hill of beans. I'm covered. I'm protected. In contrast to the works of the flesh, Paul enumerates, or Shaul, the works of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, which include, you know them all, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a contrast here, folks. What a contrast to the list that included licentiousness. licentiousness. He's not calling us back to live 
in the flesh, nor to try to appease God or win the favor of God with our own works, which are done in the flesh. That's not what I'm saying here. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying you better go out and do some stuff. I'm not saying you better go out and do some stuff. I'm saying you better live some stuff. Stand before your empty canvas, paintbrush in hand, and say, God, because you know, I've, I've heard this said. I'm into photography. I'm new into it. I'm, I'm, I'm not great at it yet. I want to be great at it. But let me tell you this. One of the things I learned from a guy named Tony Sweet, sometimes it's as important as to what's not in the picture than what is. It goes the same way with painting. We have an artist here. It goes the same way with painting. Sometimes it's, it's the editing, the great writers. Uh, it's, it's what's not in there. The thing that's on the cutting floor of the great movies that we see, it's that thing that was cut. That thing that was cut would have messed up that movie. That thing in the painting would have messed up the painting. The photograph would have messed up the photograph. The thing in the speech would have messed up the speech. The thing in the testimony would have turned the person that you're trying to reach for Yeshua away from you and away from God. He's not calling us back. He's not trying to get us to appease Him. God's not trying to get us to appease Him. Hey, do some stuff for me. He's not calling us to try to win over His favor, trying to do our own works that are done in the flesh. In the flesh stuff is easy, folks. Listen, if you're a great painter, you have great talent. You can stand before any canvas and you can paint something that people who can't paint a hill of beans can't paint a lick, as they say in southern Delaware where I'm from. They look at it and go, ooh, that's pretty good. There's a whole lot of people that have looked at my photographs who are not photographers and say, wow, that's really, really good. But then when that's not the that's not the eye that I need to have look at my photographs to tell me, is this good? Is this what do I need to do differently? I need the person who knows what they're doing, the master of photography to look at it and say, Wow, that's good. That's my goal. That's how it is with our life and the canvas that we seek to create. We seek to create this canvas not for all the other people, but for the master to look at. He's instructing us, folks. To walk in the Spirit, capital S, by faith, as we do, our lives will manifest the works or the fruit of the Spirit. Without these deeds of the Spirit, folks, I'm here to tell you, faith is dead. Faith is worthless. There's no point in it if it's not flowing through the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of the living God, through you, to create good things. The paint strokes on the canvas. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and someone says to him, Shalom, keep warm and eat hearty, without giving him the needs. What good does it do? Folks, how many times have you, have you and I'm just putting this out here, you, you know, this is a very loving, tender group, but how many times have somebody, you've said to somebody, hey, how you doing? And you kind of think they don't answer with, hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? You know, it's answering a question with a question. It's please don't trouble me with the answer. I don't want the truth. Have you ever had that case where somebody says, you know what? I'll be honest with you, I'm struggling. Today's a rough day. 
somebody comes up to my buddy Chris, you know, his, his countenance is still pretty healthy. He's a healthy-looking guy. He's a good-looking dude. You beautiful children, beautiful wife, all this stuff. You look at him with the group, you would never look at him and go, that dude has pancreatic cancer. So somebody might come up to him and say, hey, how you doing? What if Chris says, well, I'm 46 years old. Guess what I have? Pancreatic cancer. And you know what I might also have? I might also have liver cancer because they found a big thing on the head of my liver. I might have that. Yeah, I'm going to chemo. It's making me sick. Making me sick. We have cancer survivors here. We have people that are battling cancer here. So what if somebody asks you, Hey, how you doing? Instead of saying, how you doing? And keeping on walking, what if you said, you know what? I'm struggling. My back hurts every day. Chemotherapy and bone marrow transplants, stem cell rescues, they, they've wrecked my body. They've, they've put a hurting on me like you can't imagine. I can't do any of the things I used to do. I'm struggling to do the basic things. But God is good, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Somebody said to me the other day, I was in a medical facility, and uh and they I, they want to know, you know, on the list, I said, too numerous, the list of injuries, too numerous to list. And the doctor says, what's this here? This is empty. What does that mean, too numerous to list? You did a lot of lines there. I said, oh, you don't have enough lines, girl. You don't have enough lines. God bless you. You know, God bless you. But And then she said, well, okay, tell me the story. And I told her the story, and then she shook their head. Three, three ladies she shook their head, and they said, my goodness, you don't look any worse for the wear. They were being nice, but <laughs> let's be honest. But uh, the fact remains is what if what if in every moment of my life as I'm walking down the street, no matter where I go, somebody says, hey, how you doing? Oh, let me tell you. Let me just, how, how much time you have? How much time you have? You got a lot of time? Because uh, this long list, I'm just going to go through it with you. I talked I think it was last week, about be that kind of Christian that somebody sees something in you. Be that kind of messianic follower of Yeshua HaMashiach. And be that person who, Rakh HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit is living in you that comes out that despite those things, despite those challenges, those fears and struggles, because when I say, look, trust God, have faith by faith, I don't say this is supposed to be easy, folks. I don't look at the people that marched around Jericho and say, come on. Can't they look in the Bible and just see that it's going to turn out good? You know, come on. They didn't know. They had no way of knowing. This was this was craziness that they were being told to do. Take your son up on the mountain there and kill him. This son that you prayed so hard for, go kill him. Go put a knife to his neck and slice him. Bleed him out. Abraham actually believed. Abraham actually believed. Yes, I'm going to kill. I'm going to kill my son. But I believe that God is going to resurrect this precious child. I'm going to do what he says. That point of no return. Folks, you're standing before the canvas of your life. We like to think of it as a big mural. Like we, we're going to be able to paint all this stuff, this big, long scene. Folks, some of us have a little tiny bit left. The police officer that was gassing up his car in Houston, Texas, he's a man of faith. Deputy, go forth. He's a, he's a man of faith. He was a man of faith. And even today, he is with the Father, perfected and healed, not a worry in the world. And I know how folks do in Texas. They'll take care of that family. 
He was a 10-year veteran. He wasn't making a mint. I don't know if you know, but police officers don't make a ton, a ton of money. He had no concept that when he put that gas, that he was he was spending the very last minutes of his life. No concept, no idea, not even the remotest of thought. The next moments will be my last. You see, inside of us, inside of our chest, there's a beating heart that goes, and we don't even think about it. In my case, one day it's going to stop. One day it's going to stop. What's stopping you from living faithfully, living in trust of God? What's stopping you from starting the painting? Father, what shall I paint? What's stopping you? When someone asks us if we're okay, we tell them all of our terrible tale, and they instantly put on this churchy smile, and they tell us, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. But let me go on and get out of here. i got biscuits in the oven back home. I, I, I just remember, i got biscuits. Twelve minutes. They burn after that. You know, they're expensive. I say don't do that. Pray with them right then. Somebody comes up to you and says, or you can see it on their face. Man, if somebody shines you on and tells you something's not true, don't beat them over the head with it, but just say, mm, that's not convincing. I love what, what this gentleman, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Will, he, Will Martin, uh, he befriended my son, 92 years old, World War II veteran, heard my son speak at a thing down in Kent County and said, you know what, I'm going to get behind you. Came to watch him graduate, put his graduation uh, medal over his neck at, at Patriot Academy because he heard him speak and said, I can get behind you. I w- he carried us to dinner. That's how we call that. Southern Wave, well, I'm going to carry you to dinner. He carried us both to dinner, and as we were leaving the place, he's walking by tables, and he's saying, do you know Mr. Martin? He's walking by tables, and he says, when am I going to get the other half? Perfect strangers. Never saw him before in his life. And they were like, mm, other half of what? Your smile? You know every single person he said that to, just instantly radiated with joy. He said, there you go. That's so much better. I, I like to get the whole thing. I don't want a half. I want the whole thing. And in the process... Somebody asked, well, what's got you so happy? How do you think he answered? I'm glad you asked me that. Jesus, I'm 92 years old. I might be farther from heaven than you. Have you prepared? Have you prepared? Folks, when you see somebody with trouble, don't tell them you're going to pray for them and don't pray for them. I think there's no greater violation. Don't tell somebody. Don't tell me you're going to pray for my buddy Chris. And then I pray for him. Don't tell me you're gonna you're gonna pray for Angie and not pray for him. Don't tell me you're gonna pray for Don and not pray for him. Pray, pray like your life depends on it. Seventeen. Thus, by faith itself, we're almost out of time. By faith itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. Thus, by faith itself, faith by itself. I'm sorry. Thus, faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. Not limp or weak or ineffective or maladaptive or suboptimal. No, the word for it is dead. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Let me read that verse again. Thus, faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is not so great. Let me try it again. Thus, faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is kind of limp and not what you want. 
Let me try to read it again. Thus, faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is suboptimal. It's maladaptive. It's ineffective. No. The word for it is dead. The word for it is dead. Faith by itself, unaccompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say that you have faith and I have actions. Show me this faith of yours without the actions, and I will show you my faith by my actions. Jim Rohn has a saying, and I love it. Who here knows who Jim Rohn is? R-O-H-N, Jim Rohn. One of the greatest speakers, I think, of our time. And, And certainly, from a motivational standpoint, the best. And he does this thing where he talks about motivation. He talks about, man, if I could just get motivated, if I could just find my way to get motivated, if I could just get out of my own way, if I could just get motivated, I would do something. He says, no. Don't tell me once I get motivated, I'm going to do something. No, start doing something. Get motivated. Motivation comes by action, not the other way around. Living our faith grows our faith. Living our faith grows our faith. And you know what? When we live our faith, other people who don't have that faith see us and they say there's something different about him. There's something different about her. There's something alive about them. According to me, hesitant faith is no faith at all. What do you do when you're in the hardest parts of your life? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're going too many directions and none of those directions are getting you anywhere? You know what? You must have faith. Then you must act upon your faith. Having faith is only half of the deal. Then you have to act upon it. Then you have to do something. You know what? If you trust God and you live in a neighborhood, people say, well, you carry a gun all the time. That doesn't sound very faithful to me. That doesn't sound very trusting. You know what God gave me? Really good aim. He gave me super fast reflexes. He gave me split-second decision-making. He gave me a skill set that will protect me and my family until he calls me to my reward. That's what he gave me. He gave me a tool, and I'm going to use it. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. Good for you. The demons believe it too. The thought makes them shudder with fear. Never let the demons have more faith than you, folks. If you, if you hear nothing what I've said, don't ever let the demons have more faith than you. Don't ever let the, the pile of faith next to the demons be taller than you. Have them have to walk around the pile and go, well, I couldn't see your pile because my pile was bigger. I have bigger faith than you. I'm just a demon. What do I count? I don't mean anything. You're a follower of God. Little tiny pile of faith. The demons have no struggle with their faith because they fully and completely believe in Adonai Elohim. Because the demons know to whom they are subject. They know who their ultimate master is. Verse 20, But foolish fellow, do you want to be shown that such faith apart from actions is barren? What do you do when you truly demonstrate faith in the most delicate and challenging circumstances? When you lean into the wind that you can't see? What happens when you set your sail according to the promised wind from God rather than what you actually see? You see no evidence of wind, but God says, set your sail this way, I will fill the sail. 
What happens when the excellent artist paints what God tells them to paint, standing before a blank canvas? That's the path to greatness for God because of God and not because of us. Number 21, wasn't Abraham Avinu declared righteous of his actions when he offered up his son, Yitzhak, on the altar? We talked about that. In Hebrew community, what is the most important thing to a Hebrew, to a Jew? Be being declared righteous. Abraham didn't waste his redemption. Why do we? Why do we? Verse 22, you see that his faith worked with his actions, not by the actions the faith was made complete. And the passage of the Tanakh was fulfilled, which says, Abraham had faith in God, and it was credited to his account as righteousness. He was even called God's friend. Why, folks, why in the world do we waste our faith? Why do we waste our redemption in weak faith that we don't step out and keep walking in faith? Why do we do it? Folks, I have no understanding of that other than to say that I'm, I'm as jacked up a dude as you will ever meet in your life. As you will ever meet in your life. I'm I am absolutely got plenty of hurts, habits, and hang-ups, weaknesses, fears, all of those things that all of you have here, both in live audience and in the radio. And some might be thinking, man, you don't know. You don't know what I'm dealing with. I'm telling you. I'm here to tell you it's not the first one. You're not the first one. You're not the only one. I'm not saying you're not special. But you're special enough to God that he gave his son for you. You're special enough to God that he gave you this faith that you can tap into to do amazing things, not for you, not for your friends, not so your friends can see how that faith resulted in this thing, this good thing that the person had. Sometimes, you know what, here on earth, we don't ever get to show for our faith. We don't, oh, I went to Texas and all I got was this T-shirt, right? You have the T-shirt. That's it. That's all you have is the T-shirt. No, sometimes you don't even get a T-shirt. Until you get your reward. Until you get your reward. And that may come in heaven. Folks, thank you for joining me. I, I so appreciate it. We'll have to pick this up next week. Oh, not next week. I'm not going to be with you next week. I'm going to be on the road. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I will do a message for you. And if you if you tap in next week, we will be sure to have something here for you to listen to. Don't forget to go to the ninjapastor.com if you like what we do and you believe in what we do. There's a donate button there. God bless you for it. We'll tell you how we use it. It's only used for the ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing faith-filled week. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow dr sean on twitter at the ninja pastor and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash god in country radio and check out all the free messages archive shows and buy dr sean's critically acclaimed book excellence killed the church how mediocrity is destroying america at www.drshawngreener.com Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.